This is Jesus, born into poverty in an insignificant corner of a conquered nation. This is Jesus, a traveling preacher, a homeless outcast called crazy and possessed. This is Jesus, another hopeless rebel, mocked and beaten, hung on a cross to die. This is Jesus, another lifeless body, stuffed into a borrowed tomb, soon to be forgotten. Is this really Jesus? Wake up. Wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. This is Jesus, sent by the Father to be crushed for the sins of the world. This is Jesus, declaring to all he would be killed and then raised to life on the third day. This is Jesus, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead. This is Jesus, a missing body from an empty tomb on a Sunday morning. This is Jesus, the image of invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the Lamb of God, the light of the world. This is Jesus, Savior, Lord, King, Alpha, Omega, Creator, Redeemer, Friend to Sinners, Hope of Nations, the Messiah. This is Jesus, the resurrection and the life for all who trust in Him. Wake up, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Here he is. This is Jesus. Jesus. Um. How many of you think that Jesus is really here and he's going to come out from behind that curtain? Physically. In, any of you? You don't? You don't think that we flew Jesus in today just to be here, to be the one who's speaking and sharing and Showing that indeed he's alive? I mean, why not? I mean, the Bible says that he became alive. Why, why couldn't we fly him in today? Well, Pastor Kerry, uh, uh, let me give you some uh, scriptural theology. 
Jesus did rise from the dead, and then he appeared to people over a period of 40 days, and, and then he gave instructions to his disciples, and he ascended into the heavens. So um, he said he's coming back again, but no, Carrie, he's not going to come from behind the curtain. Well, we sort of know that part of the story, don't we? But the followers of Jesus... On that Passion Weekend after Jesus was crucified on the cross, they were just like you. He, he ain't coming from behind no curtain. He's not going to be walking on this earth anymore. It, it was a great ride for three years, man. He shared his heart and he loved people. There were even miracles that happened. But those Romans, they killed him. He was done. He's gone. And we saw him. They, they put him in Joseph of Arimathea's grave. And they rolled the stone in front. And we've been in mourning and grief. grief. He's not coming, whether it's from behind a curtain or out of a tomb. Not happening. We come to celebrate his resurrection this morning. But sometimes I wonder, for us 2,000 years later, if there's been so many years and so much wear and tear in our culture and in your own life, that you're dead to the reality that Jesus is alive. You see, after he ascended to the heavens, he told his disciples not to fear because he was going to send his very spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, he did. And his spirit was his very spirit. And that spirit came and possessed his followers. And that spirit can possess your life and change your life this morning. No matter where you're at in your belief or where you're at on your journey of life, whether you're on a high or on a low, Jesus through his spirit is present because he's not coming from behind the curtain. He dwells within you as a believer this morning. Amen? That was his plan all along. His plan was, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, I cannot send the help or the Holy Spirit. And they were freaked, right? Like, you can't do this. But he knew that he needed to be with us. He needed to not only dwell within us, he needed to work out his will through our life. And we have a choice. Every one of us have a choice in this life if we are going to let Jesus live within us as our Redeemer and our Lord. And so we gather here for Easter as witnesses to the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ and as hopeful followers of him or seekers of him if you're not a follower yet that he can dwell within us. But on that day, that Easter Sunday morning, there began to be a lot of appearances of Jesus. He did come from behind the curtain, if you will. He, he came and made himself present and became, and became actually sort of a, a common appearance. We don't dwell or think about that a lot. You know, if you were to look back with all the appearances of Jesus, it's sort of hard to put them in chronological order, but they're all there. 
it would be later that the Apostle Paul would write these words in 1 Corinthians 15. He said these words in that chapter, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Gospel means good news. This was a condensed version of what's called the kerygma. This is what was stewarded and told from place to place here in a second. The gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. Now, what stand is that? The stand was their eyewitness account. This Jesus was crucified, and he's now raised to life. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word that I preach to you, otherwise, you have believed in vain. He says in verse 3 this, For what I received I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. There's a chronological order going on here, is there not? He appeared to Cephas, Peter, though we also know that he appeared to the women at the tomb, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to how many? Five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And most of those who are still living, though some have fallen asleep, it says. That's all interesting because when we look at it, we just sort of think about the appearances of Jesus. But this, this, this started to spread amongst all kinds of people. And it's why the Jewish leaders and the Romans started to fear. Because you could not deny that the one who was crucified on the cross with nails through his hands and his feet, who was pierced in the side and blood and water flowed, the one who was crucified on Friday was walking around in a glorified, resurrected, physical body, talking and meeting with people. People saw him. This was not a, oh, I think he's alive in spirit, or, uh, you know, we're all just trying to, you know, think the best around here. No. He was indeed alive, as we sung about this morning. 500 people, they were witnesses. Some had fallen asleep by the time the Apostle Paul had written this, which means that they had passed away. But then he says, then Jesus appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. You see, Jesus, he grabbed a hold of the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul, as Saul at the time, because Saul later on, he was... He was killing Christians, basically. He was rallying them up because the people that were choosing to be a part of it wasn't called Christianity then. It was called the way. People that were being a part of the way, of this way, this new way of Jesus, he needed to stop it because it wasn't according to Hebrew customs and cultures. And they had their religion and they had their, uh, the rituals of all that was a part of the, the Jewish religion at the time. So he was trying to stifle this false messiah. And then what happened to the Apostle Paul? 
Scripture records in Acts that Jesus himself appeared to the Apostle Paul. That's why he says, and last of all, he appeared to me, one who was abnormally born. I was born sort of later, or I came into the tribe later from the original apostles. But Paul saw Jesus too. He witnessed him with his eyes. This was Jesus after he had ascended to the heavens. Jesus after he had filled his disciples with the Holy Spirit. Jesus physically, visually appeared to Paul. So when I say, here's Jesus come from behind the curtain, could it be, even though we know that he ascended to the Father, he sent his spirit, and he says he's coming again the second time to establish his reign upon the physical earth, Paul would tell you that, yep, Jesus, his spirit can come and visibly be present and show you himself. And when Paul saw Jesus resurrected, and Jesus asked him, Paul, Paul, why, why do you push back against me? Why do you reject me? He blinded Paul. He gave him the name Paul after that, of course. He was Saul, but he blinded him, and he was blind for a period of days, and he had seen Jesus. And so the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he had an eyewitness account of Jesus too. Now let me ask that question again. How many of you have seen Jesus? Have you seen a vision of Jesus that would appear before you, that would so strike you and change your life that you would forever be devoted to him? It could be. In fact, it's said today amongst a lot of Muslim nations and Muslim people who do not, they believe Jesus was a prophet, but they believe in uh, Muhammad, right? And so a lot of Islamic people are actually having visions of Jesus, whether in dreams or in a vision. Jesus is appearing and he's calling people to him from every tribe, language, and nation around the world. Why is that important? Well, I'll tell you why it's important, and I've been trying to dwell on it this week. Because Jesus is what Easter is about, and Jesus is what every day of the year, 365, is what it's about. And sometimes we blow through Passion Weekend, commemorating the death of Christ on the cross on Good Friday like we did here in this room two days ago. And then here on the morning of the third day, according to Jewish tradition, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. These are events. You know, it's Easter, Christmas, right? There's, there's other kinds of spiritual holidays and things that we remember. And it's so easy for us to just fall into remembering events rather than experiencing Jesus. Have you ever experienced Jesus? Oh, maybe not the vision. But has he ever come so close to you and minister your, to you through the Holy Spirit, his presence, that you were broken down and you worshipped? Or maybe you broke down in tears, repenting of your indifference and double-mindedness like Paul did when Jesus appeared to him? Is Jesus that real to you? Or 
Do you fall into the trappings, as a lot of us do sometimes, of just going through the motions of a religion? Because Jesus didn't come to establish another religion. Jesus came to establish a personal relationship with those who would be followers of him. And one day he will come again and he will take us to where he is. He says, fear not, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You need to know this. Maybe you haven't been to church for a while. Maybe you're sort of indifferent to the Christian faith, and you're really bothered by Christians, actually. I want you to know we're not talking about Christians and Christianity this morning. We're talking about Jesus, and Jesus wants a relationship with you, and he wants you to be with him where he is at forever, beginning today. Because it's not about just getting saved and waiting for heaven to come around. He wants you to have life and have it to the full today. You've been around the awakening much. You know this is one of my favorite verses, John 10, 10. The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And the Apostle Paul, he was, he was ramped up in 1 Corinthians 15. He was ramped up because Jesus had appeared to him and he was rather bothered by people who didn't have an awakening in their own heart. You know, we're called the awakening church, right? People... Awakening people to the power of the Spirit to become fully alive in Christ and to his mission. That's our mission statement. And I, I think Paul was bothered, bothered that people were not aware that Jesus was alive and that Jesus wanted to have a relationship with him. He goes on in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, and, and you can look at it if you have your scriptures or your electronic devices. He goes on and he articulates this in verse 12 as it relates to this Resurrection Sunday that we're a part of. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Do you realize that this eyewitness thing was so huge, but yet some people still didn't believe, and some people would say, well, no, he, he wasn't raised from the dead. But there were so many people raised from the dead that actually if we had come from behind the curtain people to give the eyewitness testimonies. Hey, could you come on out here and just give us a 15-minute testimony of when you saw Jesus alive after he was crucified. Could you come do that? If we had people come out here and give 15-minute testimonies, at least just the ones that are mentioned in Scripture, in passing the 500 and all the other uh, people who saw Jesus, and we lined up those experiences in a row... When we gave each one of them 15 minutes, there would be 128 hours worth of testimony of people. It'd be from now until Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, uh, Friday, sometime Friday, they would be done. 24 hours a day, standing on this platform, giving eyewitness testimonies, they saw Jesus alive. Question, would that make a difference in your life where you're at spiritually or not? Paul was adamant about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the critical nature of it, not just the eyewitnesses' accounts, but what Jesus himself would say. He says this in verse 13 of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, If there is no resurrection of the dead, not, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. 
but if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost, if only for this life. We have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. What's he saying there? That all of us in this room today are laughable. We're pitiful people if indeed Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Why would you sing those kinds of songs? Why would you celebrate things from his word? Why would you be trying to listen to a voice of a spirit of a dead person? Verse 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in their own turn. I don't know if you doubt the resurrection or not. I came across a few um, acknowledgments of this. Some of you might have remembered someone by the name of Charles Colson. He was a political leader in Nixon administration and was imprisoned because of the wrongdoings of Watergate back in those days. He came to know Christ and started prison fellowship. Passed away a few years ago, but Chuck Colson says this, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead when they proclaimed the truth that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured it if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men of the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. I don't know if you struggle with the resurrection, but there's tremendous proof to it. You owe it to yourself to check it out. Here is Jesus. Is he alive? Is Jesus alive? I love what Dr. Michael Spiegel said. Theology 101. If Jesus is just a dead man, wager on any religion or philosophy you want. But if Jesus rose from the dead, all bets are off. All bets are off. And I think it's important for us to understand that we have the opportunity to investigate whether something is true or not. I'm saddened by what's happening in our culture at many fronts, as I'm sure that you are as well. But in our culture today, there seems to be an erosion of belief spiritually and an erosion of interest in religion. In fact, there was a recent Wall Street Journal poll that was done, 
and it compared what's very important in values of the American people from 1998 to 2023, a period of 23 years. What was very important then? What is very important now? And in that study, there was the question of how important is religion? Do you know what the statistics are? In 1998, 62% of the American people said religion's important. Today, 23% drop. It's down to 39% of people say religion's important today. Now, I know you may couch the understanding, well, yeah, you just said God didn't come to establish religion, he came to establish relationship. I understand that. But in that kind of general pull, you would be tapping into the lives of people and saying, how important are spiritual issues to you in one sense as it relates to religion? Now, they may attribute it to organized religion, which takes a lot of hits and sometimes rightly so. But it's true that there is this devaluing and loss of interest in things of religion and things of spirituality. And so we find our culture trying to turn to other things, whether it's the pleasures and whether it's the prosperity of our world, whether it's a particular political leader or campaign or other things we long for, there still needs to be the wrongs that are made right and fixed. And so there's this shifting that's going on in our culture, and it's affecting every single one of us. And can I say this? It's affecting preachers. It's affecting people who lead religious spiritual movements. And there's a, a dumbing down of the faith, or there's a dismissing of the supernatural. There is a, a compobulation of all kinds of other, and rightfully so at times, social justice things. But friends, when Paul spoke and wrote 1 Corinthians 15, he was talking about the gospel, and the gospel had to do with Jesus. Oh. Don't get too hard on the Jesus stuff, Pastor Kerry. Can't we just have a sense of spiritual interest? Whatever that may be. Jesus, sort of like Jesus. Don't know a lot about Jesus. Yeah, he died, he rose from the grave for our sins, that kind of thing. But, but his realness in my personal life isn't all that critically important. And I want to I sweep away the dust and the cobwebs and say, could we make sure, especially this Easter, that it's not about the events of the crucifixion and the resurrection, but that we actually are talking about Jesus in his personhood and in his spirit and in his leadership for our life. And have you experienced Jesus? Have you had an eyewitness encounter with Jesus? Maybe not in his physical body, but by his spirit visiting you. Have you been broken to your knees to repent of your sins and say, I want to follow after you and your kingdom? Has Jesus been real to you? And maybe he was real a few years ago, but where you're at spiritually right now is you're dead. Because the culture has been pressing you into some norms that aren't norms at all. And what's happened is there's been a pulling back of truth in the midst of spiritual pursuit. And so then it becomes sort of 
preference or, or, or you know, feelings or, or what's of value to you. And, and you get the comment, you know, well, um, all, all religions are, uh, you know, fundamentally the same, but they're superficially different. And what's true for you is true for you, and, and, you know, that's all right. Let's not make waves about Jesus, right? Everybody's cool with their own route that they're going. That's sort of the way our culture is. But the moment that you remove the truth pursuit from your spiritual pursuit, you are going to end up in some very empty waters. What if you went to a bank and the bank, you walked up to the teller and said, I would like to withdraw my money. And the teller looked at you and said, okay, but I don't feel like you have money in our bank. You're like, what? Well, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. I mean, I don't feel like you have money in the bank. What are you going to do? You're going to say, hey, hey, mister, I want my money out of my bank. Why? Because you know you physically have money there. And you could take that illustration and apply it in all kinds of different ways. Do you want somebody that's a judge in a courtroom situation when you've been held, you know, uh, indicted or something to say, well, I'm not really sure about truth today, but I sort of feel like you're guilty. (laughs) What? Why has all this feeling and this subtleness of superficiality, this, you know, whatever's your preference, that kind of, how has that got so inbred into our pursuit of things spiritually? Jesus is the one who said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's hard to digest, in part, is it not, we just have to be honest, that, you know, other people may not be pursuing truth. But that should not call us to step back and say, hey, what's true for you is true for you. And my feelings, hey, I don't feel you. Don't get wishy-washy on this. Because the truth matters when it comes to beliefs. Beliefs that are not based upon truth are not just weak. They're empty. And Paul, he was preaching the truth of Jesus who appeared to him as one abnormally born. And he said, Jesus is indeed alive. And if he's not alive, then I pity us. We're all fools. It was the Canadian scientist by the name of G.B. Hardy. He said this, when I looked at religion, and again, he was a scientist and he didn't believe it. When I looked at religion, I had two questions. One, has anybody ever conquered death? And two, if they have, did they make a way for me to conquer death? I checked out the tomb of Buddha, and it was occupied. I checked out the tomb of Confucius, and it was occupied. I checked out the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. Then I came to the tomb of Jesus, and it was empty. And I said, there is one who conquered death. Then I asked the second question, did he make a way for me to do it? And I opened the Bible and discovered that he said, 
because I live, you shall live also. I scanned an article, I probably should have read it more deeply, but you know, there's a lot of modern development of medicines, and then there's now all the uh, AI stuff, the artificial intelligence stuff, and there's this belief that maybe in a couple decades people are going to be living not just longer, that maybe they could live forever, that kind of thing. And, and I just have to scratch my head and I say, friends, the scriptures teach we have one foot in Adam for all die. And then scripture says after that is appointed the judgment. We as human beings live in fallen, broken bodies we have an expiration date. We will die. But when Jesus died by murder, crucifixion, he raised himself to life. And the one who has been raised to life says to you and I today, because I live, you shall live also. The story's told of a missionary who I was in... Uh, uh, South America somewhere, and he's working with a particular tribe of, uh, of native people, and, and there was a disease that broke out in their village that was killing a lot of people. But there was a medical place uh, that was nearby. It really wasn't too far away. It was actually across a river. And uh, if they could just get to that medical facility, then they could be helped, and they wouldn't end up dying. But they feared the river, and nobody would cross the river because they believed that there were evil spirits in the river, and if they went into the river, they would die. And so the missionary went down, and, and he, uh, he, he put his hand in the water, and he showed him, says, see, I, I haven't died. And they said, no, that's, you know, that's not. And so then he splashed water on his face. And they're like, no, 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 no. And then he waded out up to his chest and said, see, I'm, I'm okay. It's safe to cross the river to get to the medical place so you can be healed. And no, no, no. So in that moment, he dove under the water and he swam across the river and he raised himself up out of the water on the other bank and he said, see, I'm okay. I'm alive. And with that, the tribe jumped into the water and they went across the river to get help at the medical center. Jesus himself undertook death. He was dead three days, and he was raised from the grave so that you and I can have hope today that these broken, fallen, immortal bodies can live and live forever, and not only live forever, but live a resurrected life today. Do you believe? Has Jesus transformed your life? Or are you just good to sort of give the Heisman Trophy thing to the religious stuff? It's fine. Keep it there at a distance. It was nice to come with family members today. But me, interested in Jesus, I know some weird people that follow Jesus, and I ain't going to be one of those. You may know weird people, and I can't vouch for Christians because all kinds of people do all kinds of crazy things. Some of them do not mean ill, believe me. But I tell you what, I came across people in my younger years and still today, some of you are in this very room where you are fully alive in Jesus and you live because he lives. And I want that kind of life. And I'm going to choose to follow Jesus today. And my question to you is, have you made a decision to follow hard after Jesus? At this moment, I wanted to bring somebody out uh, to, to give a powerful testimony about how Jesus changed their life. 
And I probably could have, probably could have put on some video so there's testimony. But I'm going to let the Apostle Paul stand as that outside testimony today. But I want to share with you some things out of my personal testimony of why I'm attracted to Jesus. Some of these may be things that you find in your own personal life why you're attracted to Jesus. But can I just be a a personal faith story to you, especially if you don't have a relationship with Jesus this morning. Why I'm attracted to Jesus. One of the first reasons, and I, I just, I need this in my life, not because I'm needy, but because the way I'm wired and trying to pursue truth. I, I'm attracted to Jesus because I'm attracted to his divine supremacy. His divine supremacy. If I could just read a couple, three verses in Colossians, it says this. The Son, Son of God, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Sometimes I get dumbfounded by people that devote themselves to following certain celebrities, sports figures, things they do to their bodies. Why don't you get a big God to follow after? That's what I need, and I'm attracted to Jesus because he was God himself come in the flesh. His divine supremacy means he is over all things. I will never, ever be disappointed when I plunge the scriptures in the truth to find out Jesus was a weakling. He was a broken man. He was a humble man. Some of the rich qualities that we mire as a human being and other human beings, he embodied those in the human flesh. But Jesus in his transcendent glory will never, ever disappoint me or you because he is supreme and eternal over all things. I'm attracted to Jesus because I'm attracted to his divine. He is God, his divine supremacy. And second, I'm attracted. I'm attracted to his authoritative teaching. I get a little weary today when there's conjecture and thoughts, a little bit of this, I think a little bit of that. Do you know Jesus was pretty straightforward and authoritative in his teaching? If you've been around here in prior weeks, we've been going through some of his teaching in Matthew. In Matthew 5 through 7 is recorded what's called the Sermon on the Mount, where he spoke to a bunch of people on a hillside by the the Sea of Galilee. And we find in the teachings of Jesus straightforward, pungent truth. Now, I still sort of consider ourselves in that series. We're going to finish it up next week, so y'all come out for that. And we'll finally walk our way through the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But could I read this part of the Sermon on the Mount that follows on the heels of what we spoke about last week, about wide is the gate and narrow is the gate kind of thing. The wide is the gate to destruction, narrow is the gate to life. Jesus, he says this thing. He's standing before people. And there's religious, political people in the crowd. There's some of these people that think they're all big time prophetic and Jesus knew where their heart was at and he says this in verse 15 of chapter 7 of Matthew watch out for false prophets 
They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Oh, that's not very nice, Jesus. Yeah. Who are you listening to is what he's saying. They come to you in sheep's clothing, like how they got good ideas and good thoughts and they're, you know, uh, proselytizing on TV, those kinds of things, and follow them. But he says they're ferocious wolves. He's just straightforward. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. There were some more tragic shootings this week. One happened in Florida where three individuals were gunned down, and the sheriff of that department stood up, and he was answering questions. Maybe you read about it, and the whole issue of guns and violence and all this evil stuff comes up again, and he just came back, and he shot it straight to the reporters and the people in the room. There's people here that may have different kinds of belief in different situations that relates to whether it's the Second Amendment or other thing, and that's all fine. But he sort of just said the same thing Jesus did that this sheriff said. He's like, killings are coming from people who are broken, who have evil in their heart, that there needs to be an addressing of these individuals because we've failed them. We've failed them in education or we've failed them in disciplining. We've failed them. Acts of violence come from hearts of violence. And Jesus in the spiritual realm said false prophets who are propagating things, it can come from bad trees. I love it with Jesus. Jesus will cut to the chase. Jesus who's divine and supreme and knows all things, he's able to speak. And what does it say? What does it say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? And we'll make mention of this week, of it this next week. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Might be a little bit of this, might be a little bit of that. No, Jesus spoke with authority. I am attracted to his divine supremacy. I'm attracted to his authoritative teaching, and I'm attracted... That's what this weekend's about. I'm attracted to 